Will you please rise for the reading of the scripture? From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went, and let, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of Roberts? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. How in the world were we able to buy anything with any level of confidence before Amazon reviews? Uh, seriously, like how did, you, how did you go and find a new restaurant that you've never been to if it wasn't for Yelp and Google reviews? Like, how did you, like would you just go and try it and see how it went and then make your decision? Like that, that seems really risky and like a waste of resources, especially, especially if it's a special occasion or you're, you're going to you know, fork over a good amount of resources. You want to know that you're going to get a return on your investment, that you, you want to know that wherever you're going, it's going to be worth the expense, and thank goodness, internet reviews now exist, right? But you guys know, you guys know that it's not enough to just look at the star rating. You have to go in, you have to read some of the reviews, because anytime you see something, even if it has like five stars, there's always going to be some people that give it one star, and, and you have to go in and like kind of like read some of those one-star reviews, because uh, sometimes they're insightful, sometimes they're Absolutely, there's just nothing to do with the product itself. I don't know if you ever noticed. It's like there's always that one guy who gives it one star because like UPS lost the package, and it has nothing to do with the product. Or like, what are you actually reviewing right now? And I, I actually I, I wanted to uh, just kind of test this theory out a little bit. So I went on Amazon this week, and I just clicked the very first thing on the website that was on the dashboard just to see. And I went to some of the the one star reviews, and it was uh, this uh, one of these Decora light switch outlet covers. You guys familiar with these? Uh, we recently bought some for the ministry center, so it was right there on my dashboard. So I go, and I start reading some of the, the one-star reviews, and some people complain that it broke or whatever. Uh, you know, but one guy was like, oh, it's too shiny, which I can understand maybe giving it three stars because you thought it was too shiny, but like one star, that seems pretty harsh. But my, my favorite was uh, there was this one person who actually, they gave it one star because it didn't fit a standard outlet. Now, I don't know if you know anything about outlets, but this is a Decora 
outlet cover, not a standard outlet cover. The standard outlets, they kind of look like two little circles. This looks like a rectangle. And so this person was upset because it was exactly what it was advertised to be and that it wasn't something else. He actually gave it one star for not being what he wanted it to be when it was as advertised, you know, because the, the reviews, as you, you get into the actual reviews and you start reading beyond the stars, you realize that the, the criteria that people use might not be the same criteria that you would use. And the validity of a review is based on the criteria, right? It doesn't matter. The stars are, are irrelevant if you have the criteria out of whack. And I, I think the same thing is true when it comes to our own lives. When we're, we're trying to assess our own lives and, and the, the value of our life and rate our own lives, that the star rating that we give ourselves is, is largely irrelevant if the criteria is invalid, if we're not using the right criteria. And we're here in this series that we're calling superlative. And uh, we, we genuinely believe that Jesus came to give us life to the full, the superlative experience of life, the best of the best. And we've been looking at different areas where Jesus brings the superlative experience. And today I want to look at the superlative you, like the best version of you, because I, I genuinely believe Jesus came so that you could actually be the best version of you, so that you could kind of have that five-star experience. But of course... We have to, to use the right criteria. And we can kind of come up with our own set of criteria for what makes for a five-star life. And we could say, oh, it has to do with personal success. It has to do with how successful my children are. Or we could say it's, you know, all of the ministry things that I do. And we can kind of come up with our own criteria. But when it, when it comes down to it, God is the one who gets to set the criteria, right? And now, if you're, you're uh, a believer of Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, and uh, I imagine that most of you who either are here in person or if you are uh, at home streaming, you, at some point in your life, you committed your life to Jesus. That's why you're here on Sunday doing the whole church thing. And, and there's a, a moment in your life where you realize that uh, no, matter, no matter what you did, even though you would want to have this five-star perfect life, when you started to uh, judge your life and, use, and, and review it according to God's criteria, you realized you weren't five stars, you weren't four stars, you weren't three stars, you weren't even two stars. You were one star, and that's only because you can't give zero stars. Uh, and you got to that point where you even realized that your one-star goodness is garbage compared to the, the absolute perfection of God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you came to this conclusion at one point in your life that according to God's criteria, one star. And your one star isn't worth that much. And so you, you felt the weight of that and enter in Jesus. And Jesus is the only one, the only one who ever lived that five-star life. He got it right every single time. And according to the true standards, Jesus lived the five-star life. Perfect. Nailed it. And here's the good news. Jesus took your one star and he walked it up to the cross. And then he took his five stars and gave it to you. So that you and me, we get the five star rating. Like the end of our life, we're going to stand before God and he's going to be like, five stars. Not because of what I've done, not because of what you've done, because of what Jesus has done. He has imputed upon us his five star rating. 
Like, this is good news. This is what it means to be a Christian, right? And, and some of you, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe, you, you know, you're still on this journey. You're kind of still, like, trying to work these things out. And, and you thought what it meant to be a Christian was to try and live a five-star life. And then maybe if you did, maybe if you got all the way up here, that at the end of your life, God would be like, all right, you're good enough. And, and maybe you didn't know that the whole time, the whole point of Christianity is that you're never going to live the five-star life. You're, you're a one-star but you get the five-star review because Jesus perfectly did it. And he gives you the credit. Like, that's really good news. And that's why we call it the good news, the gospel. That's what that word means, gospel, good news. It's really good news. But this is not the end of the good news. See, so often we stop here and we say, oh, thank goodness that I get to, to bask in Jesus' five-star review, that it's been declared over me. I have been justified by Jesus' work, and, and that is awesome, and we celebrate that. But that's not the end of the story. Because when Jesus left, he said he's not going to leave us as orphans. He said, I'm going to leave so that I can send the Holy Spirit upon you. That the, the very power and presence of God was sent out onto believers so that you and I, filled with the Spirit, not in our own power, but filled with the Spirit, we can actually start to become five-star people. That in this life, we can actually become the five-star people that Jesus has already declared us to be. Like, you're going to stand before God if you're in Christ, you're going to get the five-star review because of Jesus. But you can, in this life, actually become a five-star person, not in your own strength. We can't do it, and I don't want to be misheard. This isn't something we do in our own strength. But we have the Spirit of God with us. We have everything we need. This is what Peter says in Second uh, Peter. He says, his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything we need, do you believe that? Do you know that? That the Spirit of God has given you everything you need to actually live and become a five-star person. Everything we need. And I hope, I hope that you're going to take hold of that truth. The fact that you have the, the very power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you to make you a five-star person, that you can go out and become the five-star person that Jesus already declared you to be. But if we're going to pursue that, right, if we're going to pursue the, the superlative, the five-star version of ourselves, then we have to have the right criteria in mind. Not our, our own kind of made-up criteria, however uh, you know, thoughtful it might be. It, it still needs to be God's criteria. And what is that criteria? Well, Jesus answers that question in the, the, uh, the passage that Tracy read for us earlier. It's uh, the answer Jesus gives more than once when he's asked this question. The answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, that's the criteria. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. This is the, the criteria by which we're going to be able to be reviewed and rated how we're doing. How am I doing? How are you doing? According to this criteria, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, loving the Lord your God is a little bit tricky. Uh, we, we believe that you can have a relationship with God, uh, and it's a real relationship, and there's real things to it, but a relationship with God, it's still different. Like, it, there's still a lot of intangible aspects to it. And, and it's actually, I think it's easy for us to think we're loving God well and loving God deeply, loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and even to, to be deluded into thinking that we're loving God when maybe we're not. 
There's lots of people out there actually pursuing all sorts of different religions that believe they're loving God. They're convinced of it, right? And they're wrong. They're mistaken. And then that thing can happen to us as well. And this isn't my own idea. This is actually something that the scriptures back up. That we can't just look and, and kind of feel like, oh, I'm loving God, so I'm okay. There's this second command of loving your neighbor. And this is actually even a, a better tell to where we're at. Are we loving our neighbor? This is what John says in 1 John chapter 4. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar, right? He acknowledges that there's this possibility that we could think that we're loving God and, and be lying to ourselves. For whoever doesn't love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Right? He gets after this, that, that we can convince ourselves that we're loving God, but if you, you really want to know how you're doing, we have to look to how we're loving our neighbor. Now, we can't just love our neighbor and disregard God, of course, but, but we can't just say we love God and not look at how we're loving our neighbor. This, this becomes the criteria by which we get to see, are we five-star people? Are we living the kind of life that we have create, been created to live? Are we actually like, being able to, to live in sync with the very power and presence of God that's living in us? The spirit of God is in us so that we can love God and love our neighbor. And are we doing that? And the, the question becomes, what does it look like to love our neighbor? And that's where this passage is awesome. The, this iconic passage about the Good Samaritan where Jesus, he's, he's kind of questioned about what does it look like to love our neighbor? Somebody kind of pushes back a little bit. He wants a little clarification. And so Jesus gives us a story, a parable. It's a you know, made-up story to illustrate what it looks like to love our neighbor. And, and I think this is a great place to start. If you're saying, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe I have the Holy Spirit. I want to become the five-star person that Jesus has already declared me to be. I want to step into that. I think starting with this parable is a great place to start because we can actually find there, there are features in this parable that we could start to put into practice. And as we step out into it, the Holy Spirit will meet us there to be able to do what we couldn't do on our own. So I want to look at some of the features of this story, features of a, five, uh, of a five-star kind of love because if, if we're not loving our neighbor well, doesn't matter what else we're doing well. If we're not loving our neighbor well, one star, right? I could, I could become, uh, you know, a pastor of a mega church and, like, preach to thousands of people on a weekly basis and watch life-transforming things happen in people's lives. And if I'm not loving my neighbor well, one star. I could have all of the theology in the world like nailed down. I could literally write the book on Christian theology. I could like know it backwards and forward. And if I'm not loving my neighbor well, one star. I could, I could generously just give of my money to you know, back organizations that are caring for people. I could even start my own not-for-profit to care for people in need and still not be loving the people that I interact with on a daily basis. And if that's true, one star. This is what the Apostle Paul actually affirms in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, right? If, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains and, and don't have love, I am nothing. One star. 
if I give all I possess to the poor, you get that? Even if I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. One star. My hope for you is that you, filled with the Holy Spirit, actually want to pursue a five-star kind of love because this is what matters. This is the criteria that God is looking for. And even though we've been declared five stars, we actually can become the five-star kind of people that God created us to be. And so as we step into these features of five-star love, the Holy Spirit will meet us there so that we can do what we can't do in our own power. So the first uh, of these features is that five-star love flows from abundance, not need. Five-star love, it flows from a position of abundance, not from a position of need. This Pharisee who Jesus is talking to, he asks this question, right? He asks, you know, who's my neighbor? But the motivation is, is key. Look what it says here. This is why. He says, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see that? He wanted to justify himself. He, this Pharisee, he was looking to, to prove that he's five stars. He was trying to be, like, get to the point where he could live up to being five stars so that at the end of his life, he'd get that five-star rating. He wanted to be justified. And so he wanted a checklist from Jesus. Like, Jesus, what do I need to do so that I can prove that I'm five stars, so that I can you know, enter into eternal life with you? And, and he was actually using loving people for his own advantage. You get that? That he wasn't really interested in caring for his neighbor. He wasn't interested in the well-being of his neighbor. He was using the needs of his neighbor to justify himself. Right? His, uh, the, the needs of others and their pain and their suffering actually became a means to his own selfish end. And I'm sure you've seen this in people where you, know, you have that person who whenever there's like drama or there's dysfunction around, like they gravitate to it because they like, they need to be the person that helps, right? Because they're trying to, to justify themselves by how they care for other people and how they're able to help other people, right? You probably have a family member, you know, that person in your work who kind of has that codependency on people in need. And so they're, they're constantly attracted to where there's need, but they seem to never really be helpful. Like the dysfunction and the drama only gets worse when they're around because they're not actually there for the benefit of the the person in need, they're there to justify themselves, to feel like they're doing a good job. This is where that Pharisee was. He, he wanted to know he was doing a good job, and it was from this position of need that he was, he was functioning. But five-star love, it can't come from a position of need. It has to come from that position where we have been declared. We know and we understand that we have been declared five stars already. I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to justify myself because I've already been justified. This order, we can't get this out of order because if we do, then loving our neighbor becomes a means to our end instead of a means to their benefit. You get that? Loving our neighbor, genuine love, a five-star kind of love has to come from a position of abundance, not from a position of need. The second feature, and this probably comes through the most clearly in this passage, is that five-star love doesn't discriminate. Five-star love, it, it doesn't discriminate. And we see this so clearly in this passage because Jesus, he chooses a Samaritan of all people to be the hero of the story. Uh, just to kind of frame this for you, all right? 
in the first century Jewish world, the Samaritans were like the worst. They were, they were considered half-breeds. They were even worse than Gentiles because there was like part of them that, that used to be God's chosen people, but they, they traded that in and they polluted themselves with the world around them. And they intermarried and, they, and so they were like the worst. If there was anybody who was those people, it was the Samaritans, right? They epitomized those people. And Jesus comes in and he tells this story where a priest walks by, a Levite walks by, but it's a Samaritan. A Samaritan shows up. And a Samaritan is not just, not just loved, he is the hero of the story. Jesus is just demolishing their categories, their little circles. See, the, the, the Pharisee, when he asked this question, who's my neighbor? He was hoping that Jesus would kind of draw this little circle, right? Draw this little circle around him and say, the people in this circle... These are your neighbors, and you need to love these people in your little circle well. And as long as you do that, you can be justified. But Jesus comes in, and he actually just wrecks the whole circle. He throws it out entirely. And he says, it's not about circles. It's not about who's in your circle. It's actually about whoever it is that happens to come along in your path. That our neighbor isn't the people that we keep in our circle. According to Jesus, our neighbor is the people that we meet along the way on the path that we're taking. And you guys know, you can control who's in your circle, but you can't control who you meet in a day, who comes across your path. We meet people all the time. And Jesus says, whoever comes along your path, regardless of the circle, that's your neighbor. It doesn't matter. And, and, and this is hard, and I get it, because it's a lot easier to love the people in our circle than it is to love everybody, right? And you have, you know, you have your others. You're those people, those people that are hard to love, those people that you don't want to love, right? And I, I imagine, I, and I hope for you guys that it's not like them in Jesus' day, that it wasn't based on kind of race or ethnicity, uh, although maybe it is, and maybe not in a, like a prejudicial way, but maybe just in a sort of comfort level way where, you know, your circle is the people that you're most comfortable with, and, and people outside of your circle, they just don't really get the same level of attention, and, and, and I, we can all do this. We can all kind of dehumanize people that we don't know well and kind of treat them as other. Maybe it doesn't have to do with race or ethnicity. Maybe it's political views. It's the political other. Or, or, or maybe it has nothing to do with kind of their identity. It has more to do with their actions. That there are people that simply based on their actions, you just think of them as those people. You know, those entitled people. Or those, uh, you know, selfish people. Or, you know, those lazy people. Or those people that, you know, aren't going to reciprocate. Or maybe it's just those annoying people right? Those people that bother you, like you just don't like being around them because they're annoying. And, and Jesus says, if they're in your path, regardless of the circle, if they're in your path, they're your neighbor. And those are the people that we need to love. And, and have you ever considered that the people that you don't want to love, that the people that are hard for you to love are the same people that it's hard for anybody else to love them? You ever consider that those annoying people, those needy people, those sort of self-absorbed people, that it's hard for everybody to love them? And that maybe you, you being the one who actually has the Holy Spirit in your life, you're in their life so you can be the one who will love them, who will love your, their, your neighbor as yourself, even though they don't fit in your circle. Five-star love, it doesn't discriminate. 
Next feature uh, that we see is that five-star love, it, it sees and it engages. It sees and it engages. There's, uh, I don't know if you ever saw Into the Woods, uh, the musical. I, I love Stephen Sondheim. Um, but there's a, a lyric in one of the songs that the witch sings, and she comes along and she uh, is kind of singing this over the cast, and, and she says, you're so nice. You're not good. You're not bad. You're just nice. And that, that lyric always resonates with me because I, I think sometimes we can confuse what it means to be good and what it means to be nice. That we, we can kind of think that, oh, you know, as long as we're polite and we're kind and we're, you know, courteous to other people, then we're loving people. But the, the parable that we're talking about isn't the parable of the nice Samaritan. It's the parable of the good Samaritan. And as we, we look through this, we see that the Samaritan stands out from everybody else, all right? Because we can have this category, right? At the very beginning, you have the, this, these robbers that come in, right? The robbers come in and they beat this guy to, nearly to death, and they leave him there. So we have the category robbers. Those are the bad people. And then, on the other end, you have the, the Samaritan. He's the good guy, right? He comes and he helps. And then we have the priest and the Levite, and they do nothing. We kind of think of them as neutral. But in this parable, there is no neutral. There's only two categories. There's the obedient and the disobedient. And so you have the good Samaritan, who's the obedient one, and you have the priest, and you have the Levite and the robbers, and they're all in the same category. And that inaction in the face of suffering, inaction in the face of suffering and hurt, is actively unloving. It's a hard pill to swallow because we like to think, oh, you know, as long as we're not doing harm, as long as we're nice and we're courteous and we're loving, but not according to Jesus. That's not what love looks like. You know who got this is uh, the writers of Seinfeld. Uh, any Seinfeld fans? You guys remember the, the series finale? Uh, the, the gang, they actually witness a mugging and they do nothing about it, and they're actually sentenced to jail for a year because they witnessed the mugging and they did nothing about it. Uh, and the, the reason is because the small, fictitious town of Latham, Massachusetts, had a, a particular law in place that said, if you can do something and you don't, you're culpable. You know what, anybody know what the law was called? The Good Samaritan Law. So even the writers of Seinfeld understood how to interpret this parable, that inaction in the face of suffering is actively unloving. And by contrast, we see the Samaritan, he actually comes and he sees what's going on and he engages, right? It says he saw him and he took pity on him and he went to him, right? He didn't just like have kind of good thoughts and like wish him well and say a prayer uh, and kind of go on his way. He actually went and he engaged with the, the man who was suffering and in need. And five-star love, it sees and it engages. Now, I can't imagine any of you guys, uh, like, actually seeing a man dying on the side of the road and continue on. Uh, however, last week, or last, not this past Friday, the Friday before, uh, around the corner from my house on Rosalind Road, uh, a man was hit, struck by a car, hit and run, a uh, 64-year-old man. And uh, over the weekend, he ended up dying. And I was reading the uh, article about it, and... The people that like, kind of came to his rescue and saved him, called 911, all of that, they were describing how uh, most people just kept driving by. Like, whoa, <laughs> who would do that, right? 
It seems like such a far-fetched story, and yet, like, last week, this happened on Long Island, and we never get the motives of the priest and the Levite. We're never told, like, oh, they didn't do it because they were doing this or this or this, and I think that's intentional. I think Jesus leaves the motives off, even though we can kind of come up with our own motives. I think he leaves it off because it could be anything, and he wants us to be able to identify what are the things that would cause us to keep walking by, to cause us to keep driving by. Oh, somebody else will take care of it. Or, oh, you know, I have somewhere to be. Or, oh, you know, that's somebody else's job. Or, oh, I, I don't know what I would do. I don't know. People kept driving by. And I, I, you guys wouldn't do that. I, you know how I know this? Is a few years ago, I was uh, driving along over in New Hyde Park, and there was a car that had run out of gas. Uh, right as I was pulling up to the gas station. So it was like really close, but there were people out and they were pushing it. And so I pulled over to go and help them push. And all of a sudden, another car pulls over to help them push. And out, uh, out pops Bob Mathai. You guys know Bob and Jane. Jane is our Kids Quest coordinator. Uh, you know, here he was. He saw a car that was, you know, stalling out. And even that, you know, caused him to jump out of his car and engage. He saw and he engaged. I know that is, is kind of prototypical of you guys, all right? I, I expect that that's true. Uh, that when we see something, if we see a need, we're, gonna, we're not going to just drive by. But what if we don't see it? What if we're, we're so caught up in our busyness, and, and sometimes need and pain and hurt, it's not always so obvious. What if we're, we're so caught up in what we're doing that we don't even see it? A few uh, months ago, we had a contractor come over to the ministry center because we had to have the windows uh, frosted over and by the chapel there. And so he comes and he gives us a quote and everything. And uh, he had to meet me on our day, uh, on my day off, uh, which I wasn't thrilled about. But it's like it won't take very long. I come in, uh, and I just wanted to come in and get out of there as quickly as possible. And and he was a bit of a chatty guy, like he was a talker, uh, which you know, for me to say that. Uh, <laughs> But you know, uh, as we're leaving, uh, he's looking around and he, he looks. And in the ministry center, we actually have the great commands, love the Lord your God and you love your neighbor as yourself, kind of posted on the wall in one of the halls. And he sees it and he pauses for just a second, just long enough for the, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit to say, ask him how he's doing. And so I, uh, I do ask him, like, hey, uh, are you religious at all? And he, he's like, yeah, you know. Not so much, but lately I've been kind of getting, uh, I don't know, a little more in touch with these things. I'm like, oh, what's going on? And, and then he proceeds to tell me that his, his father just uh, died from COVID suddenly. It was, kind of shocked him. And, and here he was, and he starts to, like, break down in tears. He starts weeping. Not, like, choking up with, like, a tear, uh, but, I mean, like, weeping. Uh, like, he, it was hard for him to even talk through the tears. Here's somebody who was hurting, and I, I couldn't see it until I actually gave the time and asked the question. And it got me thinking, how many times did I miss the hurt and the pain in my neighbor? Because I was just, I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to get home. I wanted to get back to my life. How many opportunities do we miss? Because you guys know this. There are hurting people all around us. And their, their pain and their suffering, it's not always so readily available for us to just see, especially, especially when we're in such a hurry. The, the Good Samaritan, he shows a different kind of love, a love that is willing to see and engage. It leads us to the next feature, that five-star love, it comes at a cost. Look at all the resources that he spends, all right? It says that he goes and he bandages him. He pours oil and wine. He puts him on his own donkey, right? He, he then takes him to an inn that he's going to pay for. And then it says, actually, the next day, 
all right? The next day he goes, all right? Which means he gave the guy a whole day, which is probably the most precious resource. And then he takes two denarii, which let's say it's like a few hundred bucks out of his wallet to give to the innkeeper. And then he promises that he's going to reimburse whatever extra expenses. Like that's a lot of resources that he puts into caring for this person. But we can't, when we think of the cost of something, we can't just look at the, the resources themselves in their raw form. We have to actually think, wh where was that felt elsewhere? Right? Because it's a zero-sum game when it comes to our resources. It's not like we have infinite resources that if we spend money here that we don't feel it over here. Right? It says that he bandaged him. What, what did he use? Did he have a bandage? Did he have to rip a piece of his clothing? He uses oil and wine. Well, what, what oil and wine? Do you think he had leftovers for his journey? It says he gives him a day. He spent a day there. Where did that time come from? Scholars tell us he's probably a businessman. That, that's like the only logical reason he would be traveling on this road. He's probably going to a business meeting. Now he shows up a day late. What, what sort of effect did that have on his life? Did he lose the client? Did he disappoint his boss? Maybe he was heading home and, you know, he, he ended up missing Johnny's soccer game as a result. Uh, you can't take resources. We can't give resources like this without it coming from somewhere else. But five-star love, it comes at a cost and being willing to, to pay that price, put the resources in, and know that it's going to cost us over here. To actually choose and be willing to live with lesser here so that we can love better here. Sometimes it, it'll happen on the back end. Sometimes we can get ahead of it, though. And we can put aside resources. And we can carve out time. And we can make ourselves more readily available so that we can respond. We can see and engage. But we have to be willing to, to pay that price. And... You guys know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Isn't it so much better to pay the price to, like, love somebody well? Isn't it so much more rewarding than, like, spending that on meaningless garbage that we spend our money on? Like, it's true. Like, even when you do it, isn't it so much more rewarding to, like, take that stimulus check that, you know, you, you didn't need because you didn't lose your job and, like, give it to somebody who did? Uh, like, isn't that so much more rewarding than buying, like, a new TV? And it is. And I, I know you guys know this, but this, this paying the price, it's not, actually, it's not actually losing out. It's just using our resources on something so much more valuable. That instead of buying, you know, Five-star Amazon garbage, we spend it on five-star eternal treasures. There's a cost to it, though. Are you willing to pay the price? The last feature is that five-star love, it circles back. Notice it says, look after him. He said, when I return, I will reimburse you. So this good Samaritan, he didn't just, you know, come along and, and see and engage and then send him on his way. He, he said, oh, I'm going to come back. I'm going to follow up. And this is, this is really, uh, I, I think, very telling. It's very telling because when you're willing and you're going to follow up, when you're going to come back and you're going to see how they're doing, it shows that you're more interested in the outcome of their situation than merely your output in the situation. Uh, and I, I think very often, and, and I'm going to speak for myself, when it comes to helping people in need, I'm more concerned about making sure I put in the right, out, like, have the right outputs. Like, I'm, I'm kind of checking those boxes. I'm doing my part, rather than really thinking, how is that person doing? And I'm going to stop loving them when they're better, not when I'm ready to move on to the next thing. See, five-star love, it doesn't just kind of do its part and then move on. It, it circles back. It stays involved until the job is done because we actually love them. 
right? You would never, you would never do this for your own child. You would never do this for, you know, your brother and sister where you just be like, oh, there's a need and, you know, kind of do your part and then move on. No, you, you stay involved until the problem is fixed. This is the, the fifth feature of five-star love. And when we start to, to press into these and we start to try to live these out, What's amazing is the Holy Spirit comes. He shows up. He meets us there. He's not going to drag us into this, right? So we can't just passively expect that the Holy Spirit's going to just drag us into this. But when we step into this and we choose, we choose to be the the kinds of people that aren't going to kind of love passively and and try to love to justify ourselves. But when we understand that he has has declared us to be five-star people, This this is who we are now. And we live into that. And we come and, and we decide that our love is not going to discriminate against those who are in and those who are out. Our love is going to see and engage and it's going to pay the price. And it is going to circle back and, and be interested in them and the outcome of their situation genuinely. The Holy Spirit meets us and we start to become five-star people. We start to look like the Good Samaritan. Uh, now, you guys know the Good Samaritan is not real. Uh, he's iconic, though, which is interesting. Like, there's hospitals named after the Good Samaritan. I think there's probably schools. There's entire, uh, like, uh, there's laws. I actually don't know if that's true. Uh, outside of Seinfeld. Uh, there might be a law uh, called the Good Samaritan. But this is kind of like an iconic figure, but he's not a real figure. Like, so, like, call it Good Samaritan Hospital. It's like calling it Harry Potter Hospital. Like, it's not a real figure. But, <laughs> of course, we're not becoming like the Good Samaritan. Like any good story, it was based uh, and inspired by a true story. Because there's only one who lived the five-star life, the one who was able to love from a place of abundance. He had zero need, and that was Jesus. There's one who's able to love indiscriminately to the point where he would love his enemy. And it didn't matter about nationality or race or qualification. Jesus would give his love to anyone, anyone who was willing to receive it. There's only one who perfectly saw the need and engaged, who's willing to pay the price, and who is continuing to circle back, and he's coming back. He's going to finish the job. He's seeing this through. All right, all of this is actually pointing to Jesus, and when we step into this and the Holy Spirit meets us there, it's not that we become like the Holy Spirit, that we become like the Good Samaritan. We become like Jesus. This is why the Holy Spirit lives in you. Do you know this? So that you could be transformed into the image of Jesus. And even though you've already been declared a five-star person because of what Jesus has done, you, with the, the Holy Spirit living in you, can actually become this person in the world right now. And at the end of your life, you can look back and say, ah, I didn't waste it. 